I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello and welcome to the New European Podcast. I'm Richard Porritt and I'm joined by journalist Jerry Scott and the New European editor Matt Kelly. Coming up on today's show, we will be unveiling the Brexiteer of the Week with Steve Anglesey. Uh, but first, chaps, welcome. Um, I thought we'd have a look at some of the, the news events of the week. Um, this morning, uh, we awoke to Labour's leaked manifesto. Uh, Matt, is there some good stuff in there? I think there's loads of good stuff in there, actually. It was a bit bit of a weird one, because actually I've had a very surreal experience, interaction, engagement with Labour this week, because Jeremy Corbyn himself came and knocked on my front door in, in Islington, out the blue, um, just minding my own business on Sunday morning, and, and uh, Corbyn knocks on the door, and I had no idea I was the new European editor, obviously, <laughs> just because I'm a constituent of this. And so we ended up having this quite in-depth conversation about their position on, on Europe, and I made the point to him that it was incredibly opaque and no one had a bloody clue what, what they actually felt and meant about Europe, and it all felt like some sort of abstract construct to, to throw the Tories, you know, these six tests they've got. Yeah. And I said to him, you know, you've got to make it concrete to people what, uh, what, what it means if they don't meet the six tests. And lo and behold, in the leak manifesto, there is a very concrete uh, line saying no deal, no Brexit. And for me, it seems like it's the first chink of light, really, in Labour's narrative since Brexit, where you can see a plausible scenario where, actually, if Britain is facing a catastrophic cliff-edge hard Brexit, uh, there could be a vote of no confidence, there could be any sort of um, eventuality in Parliament where we have another election and Labour could stand and say, you know, we're the party for no Brexit on these terms. So I was quite encouraged by it. That that certainly stood out to me as well. The only question, of course, and the um, the, the the thing that maybe sticks in um, a few Labour throats is that they haven't mentioned this three months ago, six months ago, and, the, and it's only now yeah. that we're getting to it. I mean, look, I think they... My, my honest opinion is that the whole organisation is utterly shambolic and amateur. You know, I, I emailed somebody an insider in the whole game and I said do you think the strategic thinking is that this you know do the, do you think that it's not really about this election is it about the next election and I got the reply saying do not make the mistake of thinking that there is any strategic thinking in the Labour Party at all they're <laughs> playing it by ear um, nevertheless 
he's come out with a load of policies that do have very popular resonance with big swathes of society. You know, privatising, sorry, nationalising, uh, <laughs> nationalising rail, although, of course, then they trip on into areas that people would be less comfortable about, like the postal service and uh, energy and stuff like this. But nationalising the rail uh, network, I think, is a popular thing. Lots of talk about uh, heavier taxes for the uh, people earning more than 80,000 quid. That will play very well with lots and lots of people. Lots of talk, of course, as you'd expect, about uh, treating people better at the lower end of society. So loads of good, honest, solid Labour policies that will play well. The question is, as ever with with, uh, Labour at the moment, is Jeremy Corbyn the guy that people have confidence in to deliver a government? And I'm not sure that's been... I don't know what you guys think. I was going to say, I think it's funny that you talk about strategy, Matt, because if if this isn't strategic, it's a big shame, because I think it's a really good... um, position that Labour's in they've had this leak wherever it's come from mm-hmm. but it means that they're able to actually almost test the ground well, do you think, for these do you policies. think that they are that clever? No I don't <laughs> but I think it's a shame yeah, I think yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it could have been a very clever move, I don't yeah. think it's been planned but I think yeah. it, if it was it's quite clever because they can say we don't have much detail yeah. the, I mean the likelihood is that they've got more coverage on their policies yeah. this way yep. than they would have done next week Yeah. Um, I mean it didn't you know, the front of the Telegraph today's um, yeah. Labour wants to take Britain back to the 70s. Yeah. This is a document that's 50, 51 pages long, I think 20,000 words. I mean, it's far too big, there's mm. far too much of it, yeah. and it would probably take them two or three terms to get all this stuff through. But I agree completely with, yeah. with you, Matt, um, that there is, some, there is some good policy in there, actually, if you dig down. Yeah. Um, but do I, we think people will? Importantly, by the way, for for our industry, there's a, a line right at the end about a focus on local news mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. local media, which is incredibly important, I think, societally for us, uh, that that this uh, industry is kept healthy. So, so that's encouraging. Look, to be fair to them, it is a draft. Um, there was a great leak from... Um, from uh, the editor of The Spectator. Uh, Fraser Nelson. Fraser Nelson, thank you. Sorry, mental blank. But he leaked a Thatcher draft, uh, how she'd actually sub-edited the manifesto. Brilliant <laughs> sub-editing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely <laughs> superb sub-editor she was. Um, but So it's fair to say that this will get sharpened up a lot. I think people... I, was, I read The Telegraph this morning because they had all the detail laid out. I'm not a Telegraph reader, but I was... Very uh, impressed, actually, with a lot of the structure of the thinking behind what they were saying. The trouble is, as ever, they can't help then trip into areas where even if they have conviction about it, and there was a big piece about rights for gypsies and Romanies Mm -hmm. and for travellers and that. Okay, that is going to... The reality is that's going to cost them votes with a certain sector of society. And you don't half wonder whether at this stage, with the... Needle so finely balanced on on a, basically what we're facing a one party state. Would it not be better to be a bit more pragmatic and try and win a bit more centre ground, leave the radical stuff for a notional second term, but get a popular vote here? Absolutely. Okay. Well, let's move away from Labour, and uh, you couldn't move much further away from Labour in this country without talking about UKIP. Um, uh, Jerry, are UKIP dead? Do you think? 
Um, I think they are. I think you've just got to look at their performance in the local elections. What is it? One councillor they're left with across across. So. Um, well, one councillor won. I think they've yeah. got three hundred uh, main. Yeah, they lost only because they didn't. Stand. Uh, they lost yeah. one hundred and fourteen yeah. seats. There we go. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. One councillor um, won. Yeah, and it's. It, I mean, it's not a great, great outlook for them. And I, I'm not surprised. They're a single issue party, and if they've if they've achieved their aim. What is their what is their identity now? What have they got left? Um, especially, you know, you see them not standing candidates for the general election and saying, "Lend your votes to the Tories." Yeah. They are they are a dead party, I think. Matt, that that issue of not standing candidates, I mean, that's surely the white flag, isn't it? Uh, well, I just think it's recognition that they've been swallowed up by the Tories, and actually, it's futile for them in, in many places. Um, and and so UKIP is a story, and in fact, it's our lead story in the paper: mm-hmm. uh, the death of UKIP, the autopsy on UKIP. I hope it upsets them dramatically. <laughs> but it's really it's a bit of a sideshow because the death of UKIP is a consequence of the lurch to the right of the Tory Party, and that's what we should be worried about: how how Theresa May has assimilated the messaging that made UKIP popular in the first place. So you can either say that's her conviction, but we know it isn't, or you can say it's a deeply cynical move by a Tory party desperate to get a landslide victory and effectively consolidate this one-party state, which which is what I'm worried about. But, you know, the other thing that my, you know, sources that I've got in UKIP have told me is that the party just can't afford to stand these candidates no, in the election. Yeah, they've got no money. Yeah. And to call this general election so soon after the locals, they just haven't been able to make that bank yeah. to, to stand any candidates. Yeah. Just finally on UKIP, I think we're all agreed that they are uh, they're a busted flush. Um, has Nuttall got any chance in in Boston Skegness? In Skeggy, I'd, I'd love him to... I mean, I fell out with the sitting Tory ex-Telegraph <laughs> yeah. journalist MP, Matt Warman, who accused us of all sorts of weird stuff, using Nazi typefaces. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, very, very odd. He kind of lost the plot a bit. But, of course, he's one of these guys who are desperately now... He's a Remain voter. He's desperately now trying to convince his constituents that really he's a lever at heart. And as much as I'd like to think Paul Nuttall... Paul Nuttall and I are both from a similar part of the world and uh, so I've got that kind of affinity with him I'd love, I'm really torn on it I'd love to see Matt Warman um, get into a pickle uh, I'd hate <laughs> to see I mean it would be for amusement value only to have Paul Nuttall in the House of Commons for the next <laughs> next uh, parliament would be hilarious so I don't, I, I don't know it would be fun, and we could dress him as the Jolly Fisherman, of course, couldn't we? <laughs> well, I'm sure he will dress himself as the Jolly Fisherman if he thinks that'll win him some votes. It he turns out like a gamekeeper. In, in, you know. It might be an improvement, <laughs> certainly, yeah, oh, what he God. wears at the moment. Um, let's, let's talk about what's been going on um, across the channel. Jerry, we've, uh, we, we're going to have a new president in France, uh, in Emmanuel uh, Macron, excuse my pronunciation there. Do you think... That this is a little bit of hope, maybe for the for the censor. Oh, uh, is it? The, the thing is, is that I I don't see really that much difference in him from his predecessor, from Hollande. I really don't see that much of a change. Um, I think it's a it's a victory over fascism that we didn't get Le Pen. Um, I say we because I see us as all kind of benefiting from not having um, Le Pen in office, but. <sighs> I think we've got bigger things to worry about, to be honest, than um, than who's 
it's not going to make it any easier or any more difficult for us Brexit-wise. Mm. I think it's... Um, I think it could make it harder even. Yes, yeah. I agree. I think it is going to make it more difficult. But, I mean, we saw how pro-European he was, he is, yes. clearly. Um, I, I, I guess... As a as a moderate, I'm pleased that it wasn't Le Pen, as we, I guess most of us would be. But you, um, you've got to say, there's 13 million people who voted for a neo-fascist, and they haven't gone anywhere. Well, exactly. That's the concern, yeah. is that there's still yeah. a huge division in France. We, we, we'd be lying, wouldn't we, if we were to pretend that all is well now in France, simply yeah. because there was... There's a great uh, deal of hope in France, yes. and there's a great deal of relief. And I think there's a great deal of relief everywhere that the... The foot on the far right ball. They've put the foot on that ball mm-hmm. and they've stopped, stopped what seemed to be a, a very, uh, a very aggressive trend towards populism and uh, nationalism, which is very worrying. So that's a great relief. I absolutely agree with Jerry that the question is, will he be any more successful than Hollande? Um, there was there's enormous amounts of disaffection about Macron as well. You saw huge rates of um, abstention and spoiled ballot papers. A lot of people do not like him and voted for him only because he was up against Le Pen. But then look at the alternative. Mélenchon is almost as fascist as Le Pen, despite Absolutely, describing yeah. himself yeah. as a yeah. someone on the far left. People make this association with Corbyn and Mélenchon. I mean, they couldn't be two different two different people altogether. So. I think it's 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 in the context of of what could have been. It's an absolutely glorious achievement. But you're right. We need to see what he can deliver. Very interesting that the old political structure. I mean, Sarkozy did this a little bit in in sense of of reshaping and challenging the establishment in, of political parties in France. So there is a precedent for it. But completely decimating the old um, conservative versus socialist balance in France with this new party. And you wonder post the general election here, whether that's something that foretells what we'll be well, looking at. Th- it's interesting you mention that because, of course, there have been a few um, Labour sources talking to newspapers this week and saying that there have been meetings about what happens if Corbyn carries on. Mm-hmm. Um, my my Labour source says that's complete rubbish, but um, I would expect that it's probably not. These conversations must have taken place. Do you agree, Jerry? I think so. You've got a plan for that eventuality. Um and especially when, you know, the the party itself doesn't seem clear on if he would stay on or not. Um, kind of denying it, confirming it, denying it, confirming it. Um, so, of course, these conversations have got to take place in case it does all go on And Matt, just finally, is it likely or do you think they'll they'll struggle out one more leadership challenge if Corbyn stays and, and try and keep the brand? My, my question, I mean, there'll be loads of MPs without a job. Labour MPs who will mm. be, you know, thinking very hard about what their immediate future is. I'm old enough to remember the SDP, you know, and how effective that was for a short period of time. So I don't think there's any great uh, challenge about creating a new political force out of all of this disaffection. But who is going to lead it? That's my question. Who is going to lead it? Ed Balls? No. <laughs> Alastair Campbell? No. Uh I, I, I can't see who's going to come up and lead. Chucka Amuna, maybe? You know, I don't know, David Lammy. People talk about Andy Burnham. Andy Burnham, but he's... He's got a new he's, job. He's he got has a got job. a new job. No, he's got a real job. You know, <laughs> Scouser sort of sorting out Manchester. OK, chaps, thanks very much. We'll speak again next week. 
Brexiteer of the Week. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm joined now by Steve Anglesey, who's going to talk us through um, the Brexiteer of the Week. Well, it's a coveted title this week, really. The, the usual array of uh, insanity, inanity, and uh, just plain wrongness uh, among the Brexiteer fraternity. Obviously, it's been a really bad couple of weeks, hasn't it, if you're in Brexit? Uh, if you're uh, very Brexity, there's been the disastrous uh, local council elections. There's been um, uh, Madame Le Pen in France, uh, which we'll come on to in a minute. And, the, and, the, and then this huge sense that the Conservatives are stealing your clothes, uh, your tweed clothes, in fact. <laughs> um, so it, it, it's, uh, it's all quite strange. And there are numerous uh, candidates for Brexiteer of the Week. I was particularly uh, I'm particularly keen to not just talk about the same people every week. Uh, so I'll start with Nigel Farage, um, who obviously we have talked about many, many times before. There's, a, there's some great work being done by German newspapers at the moment. Uh, obviously, we had the, uh, the hilarious account of uh, Theresa May's dinner with uh, Juncker. Uh, which was from a German newspaper a couple of weeks back. Now there's been a superb and uh, under-circulated interview uh, with Farage in Die Zeit, uh, which is a uh, German newspaper and online uh, online thing. Uh, mainly the, the guys from Die Zeit mainly focused on potential links between Farage and Russia. This is something that's not really surfaced so far here. Uh, really wound him up and uh, there were some fantastic exchanges I'll just read you one of them uh, where he was asked uh, whether he'd ever met the deputy Russian ambassador presumably to London Uh, he said no he never had done then they said didn't he come to your office once and he said oh yes (laughs) he did come to my office in the European Parliament and maybe I met him in London so what Uh, he also denied ever taking any money out of Russia until it was pointed out that he'd made a lot of appearances on the Russian TV channel Russia Today Uh, so that was really good Uh, quick shout out also to Ray Winstone uh, the great actor uh, who you'll know great versatile actor who you'll know from um, playing a Cockney Irish Bostonian in The Departed and a Cockney 11th century Scandinavian warrior in Beowulf and a Cockney Greek Italian FBI agent in the, the Point Break remake which was uh, uh, which was quite a, a departure for him uh, he did a great interview with The Times this week Ray Winston he was asked whether he was Brexity he said of course I am without a shadow of a doubt and when he asked to explain why he was a Brexiteer, he said, we're a fucking Ireland race. I get the ump being told I can't have a kidney with my pork chop. Do not fat with the way I live. Uh, which, as a manifesto, is pretty clear, isn't it? Uh, so that was Ray Winstone. Uh, quick mention of Bill Etheridge. He's standing uh, for UKIP in Dudley South. Uh, in the general election, he's also... Uh, an MEP for the West Midlands and a councillor in Dudley and he launched his uh, election campaign, Westminster election campaign in a curry house this week, he did it because he said he wanted to put to bed once and for all the idea that UKIP was racist. Now Bill Etheridge is a man who has written a book about gollywogs Uh, he's posed for pictures with gollywogs he uh, has called for a ban on the burqa, on kosher meat, on halal meat, 
and he uh, once uh, did a lecture advising UKIP candidates to pick up little bits and pieces from the speeches of Adolf Hitler, uh, who he said had achieved a great deal. That's a quote. Uh, he did say, I'm not saying directly copy for him, just pick up little moments. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's hard to know how anyone might think that UKIP would be racist, but uh, thankfully Bill has put that to bed by going to a curry house to hold his, uh, to hold his uh, election launch speech. Brexiteer of the week, however, for this week, many other weeks, uh, is Katie Hopkins, of course, lovable peroxide hate machine Katie Hopkins. Uh, I don't know about you, but one of the greatest things for me this week was following the election of Emmanuel Macron and the defeat of Marine Le Pen. Uh, even better than that was following Katie Hopkins reacting to it on Twitter. She boldly went out to France, obviously to witness a great uh, victory for the far right, uh, and came back disappointed. And, and uh, the tears of laughter were, were rolling down my cheeks as this uh, unfolded on Sunday night. Uh, there was one tweet which I particularly liked. Macron supporters are hurting my heart, uh, Katie wrote at one, at one point. And it, that reminded me of the moment in Blade Runner where Rachel, the beautiful replicant, is pretending that she isn't actually a robot. And the idea that Katie Hopkins has any kind of heart to be hurt by the supporters of Macron is, is quite an amusing one and certainly cheered me up through the night. Uh, the next day, Katie was back on the streets of Paris. She found what she said was a million or so individuals marching against Macron. Uh, uh, and she was tweeting about that, this million or so individuals. Now, there's a slight discrepancy with the number of people that Katie said was marching about against Macron and, uh, and uh, the number of people who were actually marching against Macron, who were from an organisation called the, the Front Social or the Social Front. Uh, Breitbart, who are known for their strictly accurate figures and never exaggerating anything, said that the number was a bit less than a million. They said it was about 10,000. So just 990,000 out between Katie and Breitbart. And then the Paris police, I mean, what do they know? But they, they pinned the, the, num the number of demonstrators at 1,600, which, of course, is just the 998,400 less than Katie uh, Hopkins saw. So, you know, disputes there, but, you know, we're in the, sort of the same zone, aren't we? Finally, the best thing about Katie Hopkins this week, and the reason why she is the Brexiteer of the week, is the column that she wrote on Mail Online, having come back from Paris and absorbed all this sadness, uh, which she put down actually to fear of the other, uh, which is quite remarkable. Fear of the other, she said. She was talking about the metropolitan types all over France who uh, voted against the, the, uh, the others in France who, who uh, agreed with Marine Le Pen. So this was how she summed it up. Uh, as she wandered the streets of Paris, sadly, with the world's smallest violin playing in her ear. I thought back to my England on June the 23rd, to my friend stood on the roundabout, waving her leave banner like a maniac, to the hot pubs and pavements up and down the UK, where grown men were suddenly proud to be British, people with battered Union flags over their shoulders, memories of blue passports, proud of their pound, Pictures in their wallet of their granddad in his service uniform. Deep connections to a time before. 
Now, that is stirring stuff, isn't it? And it seems to have escaped Katie in that massive laundry list of bollocks that it was probably deep connections to a time before, uh, possibly the time between 1940 and 1944, that stopped the French voting for Marine Le Pen. Brexiteer of the Week. Thanks very much, Steve. Thank you. Stay angry. Fight Brexit. Subscribe to The New European. Your first 13 issues of The New European are only £13 when you join us and become a subscriber. Order by telephone by calling 01858 438840 and quoting Podcast One, or order online at our website, www.neweuropean.co.uk. Stay angry. Fight Brexit. Subscribe to The New European. Thanks for listening to The New European Podcast. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, go and buy the paper on sale now and log on to the website www.theneweuropean.co.uk. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.